are at the end. And so if you have stuck with us um, throughout the past, I think it is 24 Sundays we've done this. It's a lot of Sundays in the Sermon on the Mount. So you've been troopers. The kids' ministry has been awesome in creating that content week after week after week. Um, And so as we get to these final three verses... First, ask you this question. Have you ever just been, like, in a moment that you're totally, totally caught up in? Like, you just, it leaves an impression on you, and you're just, you're just kind of, whatever it might be, you're just done. I, you don't even have to hyper-spiritualize it right now. I know you're like, well, I remember this time I was at a, you know, Chris Tomlin concert, and, oh, you're like, like <clears throat> whatever it is, whatever you're thinking, like, what's that thing in your head where you just go, that, that was memorable, it left a significant impression on me. It might be lasting. It might be temporary, meaning that at some point in time, it, the, the, the moment dies off, but then it still left this mark. So here's a super temporary one for me, maybe so for you. First time I saw the movie Inception, I was like, what? What just happened? That top's just, is it going to keep spinning? I don't even know. Walk out of the theater, and I was like, whoa, that movie's great. One that I thought was going to last, because I'm from the area, but certainly it has a bit more of a sting now. 2017 World Series Game 5. That was pretty cool. Way less cool now in 2021, but was definitely cool then. Now it's just a sting. Uh, music does this for people. Certain songs have an impact. It might be the song you dance to at uh, your wedding, but certain music has an effect on people. Certain styles, it just does something. Man, that, that song, I could listen to that over and over and over again. Does anyone, you have to raise your hands, but does anyone cry when they read a book? Where like as they're reading it, like it's just leaving this impression because they're getting caught up in this story, what is going on, and they're seeing something. I've never cried at a book, but I'm married to someone who does. Just I, I haven't been able to do it. Like it's just this. But but I'll cry at Sister Act two. Like not joking. I'll cry at a wedding. Sometimes weddings that I'm officiating, I'm like, gotta get through this. I'm not even the groom. How come I'm crying? But we love, we love, as just humans, we love things that connect with us. We love stories. As we understand the gospel and what the gospel has done, uh, we start to realize these themes of redemption that exist everywhere. And if we're thinking about Easter that's coming up, right, we're going to celebrate it next week, a Good Friday into Easter, happening for us during the season of spring. And what is spring? But resurrection, it's, it's creation coming back out in ways that we hadn't seen in months and months and months. And all the plants that have died or th- grass that you thought was dormant, you weren't sure it was going to come back, right? What's happening now? It's coming back. Unless it froze a whole lot. We love these things that connect. And very often it is art, story, music right? Song, poetry, 
those things seem to be able to reach down and impact us in ways that other things can't. They captivate us. They might even surprise us. And they leave marks on us. And sometimes we're not even sure why, but we know that they change us. Now, let's think for a second about Jesus. When you think about Jesus, what what stands out about him? What impact has he left on you? Does he is he more like the person at Starbucks who's just behind you in line and you might say hello to and then move on with your life? Or has there been a mark made? And if so, what? What's changed? What's changed because of an encounter with Jesus? What effect? Both maybe in a moment, but also ongoing, has he had on you? And we've come to the end of a series on the Sermon on the Mount. You heard Hannah speak about it in the kids' video, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Sunday 24. If you were in a D group last year or you were going through our 2020 reading plan and you were just sticking along with it, then you have given time and energy to memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. So you spent chunks of last year memorizing it as best as you could. You may have forgotten most of what you've memorized, but not all of it. I'm sure there's parts that we go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <clears throat> so you have 52 weeks, if you stuck at it, of memorizing this, all of 2020. You've had 24 sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. And then last year, in our reading plan, we went through the Sermon on the Mount. So you've read it, memorized it, heard it. <clears throat> My hope is that you're not tired of it. You haven't gone, okay, well, we, we have wrung out everything from that sermon that we possibly could. Nothing else left. I am an expert in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask me anything, and I'll be able to answer. <clears throat> but the Sermon on the Mount was not spoken in 45-minute chunks, 24 Sundays at a time, or over, over time. It was heard once, and recorded. That the impact that you heard Hannah talking about, how, how, the, the way that it changed people was not, I mean, Jesus was like, well, come back next week, and I'll give you the next two verses of my teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. That's not what he did. He said it all, and they heard it all. <clears throat> and with all the time that we have spent on it, We probably don't remember some of how it begins, or some of the middle, or maybe even some of the end. So I want to, this morning, hear it one more time. We're going to go, and this is just for you to hear. You don't even have to read along. I want you to hear the Sermon on the Mount, because that's how it was originally received. Right? There wasn't everybody on the hillside going, okay, what was that point? Did anybody get that point? Let me write it down again one more time. It was just heard. It was heard. There were no pencils, there were no papers, there were no Bibles. It was just the teaching of Jesus. And so let's hear the Sermon on the Mount. Seeing the crowds, 
he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted. For the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called last in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and, and there remember that you're brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, first, be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last Penny, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. But you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. You heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, well, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rains on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be praised by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not 
Be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart <clears throat> will be also. <clears throat> the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your whole eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, <clears throat> your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, 
was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to the dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot, turn and attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For is, in this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, 
many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying, finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished at his teaching. As we finish the Sermon on the Mount, we need to think about the response that people had to what they heard. The response to what they had, to what they heard. When he finished these sayings, the people were astonished at what he was teaching. And we'll first just think of a few examples of that. In fact, that idea of astonishment, where something happens and it changes you, where it leaves an impression upon you, that was a fairly common response to people encountering the person of Jesus and his teaching. I'll give you some examples. Mark 19, starting in verse 24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Matthew 22. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. That's Mark 1, 21 and 22. Mark chapter 6 he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath day, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They're in his hometown. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know him and his brothers and his sisters. I went to high school with his mom. 
there's no way this guy is who he says he is. They took offense at it. They were astonished at his teaching. Mark chapter 7, Jesus charged them not to tell anyone, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Mark chapter 11, and he was teaching them, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Luke chapter 2, Jesus is a young boy. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? Who tells the story of the family caravan leaving Jerusalem. And Jesus stayed back and was teaching. And everyone was like, who is this kid? Never seen this kid before. How is he teaching like this? Luke chapter 9, when he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. And Paul and Barnabas and Cyprus, this is on the missionary journey. Jesus has ascended. But listen to this language in Acts chapter 13. There's a magician who tries to turn a leader away from the faith. The leader's interested in the faith. The magician's trying to get him away from the faith. Acts chapter 13, we read this. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind. This is to the magician. And unable to see for such a time, or uh, see the sun for, for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, that was the leader, when he saw what had occurred. Listen to this. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. I have a question for you. Just a question. Don't know your answer. If you're in a community group and you go through these questions, you can ask, work through it there. How did Jesus' words strike you? How do they strike you? He certainly leaves an impact wherever he goes. But very often, don't we treat him more like the people in the synagogue in his hometown? Oh, yeah, Jesus. You know, he's a cool guy, but like I've grown up in the church. I've heard all this stuff before. And all of a sudden, it's like our hearts have turned off to the very fact that it is the Son of God, God incarnate, speaking and teaching. Remember when we went, we went through the Lord's Prayer and the statement was, isn't it nice to have an expert helping you through things, especially when you feel at a huge disadvantage and you can find the person who has an answer? It doesn't just give you an opinion, but like can definitively say this is what it is. Talked about looking for doctors and when the doctor can actually accurately diagnose something, the relief that you feel, especially the longer that you've gone wondering if you are going to ever be healthy again, and they say, this is what's going on. And you go, oh. We get that with Jesus. We get the good physician 
who can teach us and instruct us and direct us. And when he says, you don't need to worry, we can go, okay, okay. Because he is not here to harm us. That's verse 28. They're astonished. What impression does Jesus leave on you? There's a reason that they are astonished, and that's verse 29. For he was teaching to them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Well, this is an interesting phrase because I think very often we treat authority with loudness. The more, the more loudly you say something, the more firmly you say it, the more Twitter followers you have about it, the more you can just proclaim into the echo chamber how you feel, somehow you become an authority on something. So what makes them have an authority? Because I would say, if I were in Jerusalem at the time, I might say, if you ask me the question, who can authoritatively teach the scriptures? I'd go, scribes. These people knew it. They'd write it. They'd study it. They, they, they know it better than I'll ever know it. So if you're talking to me about authority, I'm going to point to the scribes. But interesting, they're astonished at his teaching because he was teaching as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Well, that's a little different. Because the people who had the authority, they're not going to, eh, Jesus, this is the thing. Jesus' teaching is qualitatively different. Qualitatively different than what they get from their scribes, from their leaders. Authority isn't just because you say something loudly or firmly. It doesn't come because someone even says you're an authority. There are times when people are authorities on things, right? There are times we need that in this world. There's a great book called The Death of Expertise about how in our world, specifically in our Western world, we have such a disrespect for people who are authorities or experts on things because we're, uh, you know, on your, grab your phone and just search for the thing pastor said and you can fact check him real time in the sermon. I don't have to take his word for it. And so it has, it has made anyone who has some level of actual earned authority, both through life, through study, and the affirmation of others, for example, like in a, in a dissertation when you write that thing and you have people in the field signing off and saying this person knows what they're saying, that that often doesn't carry with it even authority anymore. They're like, yeah, well, whatever, I can just Google it. I'll just find your dissertation and find something wrong with it and then cancel you. So it's not just about saying something loudly. It's not just about saying something. We have this world where authority doesn't even matter to us. But Jesus teaching with authority, that's a little different. Not loud, it's not just because it's firm, it's not just because he's saying, listen to me. Isn't it funny that even Jesus sometimes be like, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. It's a totally different way of thinking about life and authority. Authority doesn't come from that in this instance. Authority comes, yes, from who Jesus is, but it, it comes because what he's saying is true. It's because what he's saying is true. 
And isn't it interesting when you encounter things that are true and it leaves an impression on you, you go, ooh, yeah, I have not, I hadn't, I had not ever seen it like that. I had been taught to live my life for myself. I had been taught to worry about tomorrow. I had been taught to gain. I had been taught these things. And my leaders had, had taught me that I don't want to do super sins, so I'm going to even kind of write off all these other things to do so that I don't ever get to the worst of the worst. I'm going to live really safely that way. But as they're hearing Jesus teach, and Jesus is going, let me tell you about the law. Let me tell you the heart of the law. And as he's doing that, he's peeling back these layers, and he goes, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, <clears throat> which you have to be the son of God to do. You, you, like, you, like, he's the only one who can do that. If you ever hear me say, yeah, Jesus said it, but it doesn't really mean that, that's going to be a big problem. But as the Son of God, sent from heaven for us and for our salvation, he can, he can say, you heard it was said, but I say. And as he's doing that, can you, you can, even as you just heard it, can you not just go, yeah, yeah, that is how life goes. There's something more, right? So we call it the good life. There's something good there. Not just palatable, good. Qualitatively different than the garbage I get from around me. It is a different thing. Because it's true. So what changes in you when you realize Jesus' authority? Well, we'll see what happens as you get to 8-1. Remember, 5-1, what's happening? Jesus goes up on the mountain. We even talk there. Where is the law given in the book of Exodus? It's given to Moses on the mountain. Jesus goes up on the mountain in Matthew 5, and he begins to teach them. And in chapter 5, what is one of the first things that he does when he talks about the law, and he starts to help you understand its intent not just this, the, the, the letter of the law, like, hey, don't do this, do this, don't do this, but the actual spirit of the law, what it sought to accomplish. So he's on the mountain, and he's there, and he's instructing on the character of God and the heart of the law. And then he comes down off the mountain in 8.1 really finishes the story, but look at this. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. When he went up on the mountain, who was there? His disciples. When he comes down from the mountain, who is there? Great crowds. They follow him. People are interested in Jesus the Messiah. Certainly some are interested for the wrong reasons. You ever been that? I'll show up to the meeting because I want to be sure they don't say anything crazy. So some people are there to try and fact check Jesus. They have their phones out. They're ready to Google search anything that happened. I don't know about that. Let's find out what, you know, Rabbi so-and-so says there. Let's find out what this teacher says. Be sure that it checks out with Jesus. 
what he has said is true, and people are saying, I need this guy. I need this guy. You have to think about this. Your salvation is not a teaching. It is a person. It is a person. That person teaches, and that person has teaching. But you're not saved by the Bible. You're saved by the work of Jesus as revealed in the Bible. But the Bible doesn't save you. It is the person of Christ. And so what happens? People go, that guy I need. I need to hear what he has to say about life. I need to do what he says. I need to follow him. So this question, in what capacity, in what capacity are you committed to Jesus? Here are a few. We just think about the crowd who was there, and they were astonished. He taught with authority. Those were following him. Here's one. Are you just kind of a podcast listener to Jesus? And that would mean that you, you really do like the teaching. It helps you out. But you actually don't care for his authority. You're, you're not that interested in, in listening. Like you want to be able to go, well, I like that teaching, but not that teaching. I like what he says there, what he says there. Here's the thing with Jesus. Either it's all true or it's none true. Like he cannot be 99.5% of who he says he is for your salvation to be real. He has to be all of it. And so then with his teaching, though we may at times have issues or struggles or even, even hard times understanding certain teachings, that does not give us permission to reject but if we come to Jesus like a podcast listener, then all we get to do is go, well, I like that episode, I don't like that one. I like this story, I don't like that one. I like that teaching, I don't like that one. And so I've kind of curated the ones I want to listen to about him, and I've removed the other ones. You can't do that with him. If you like his teaching but not his authority, then what is Jesus but a movie maker? You go, well, I like the Dark Knights, those are fun, but like Tenet was a little weird, so I'm not, I'm not down with Christopher Nolan on that one. Like, you do it like that. I like what you produce sometimes, but not all the time. And so I can do that, because I'm the consumer, but that's not the case with Jesus. But another person might be this. Maybe you're not the podcast listener. Maybe you're the ladder climber. You're the one who just loves that Jesus can get you in certain doors, certain places, because he has authority. And so... You're interested in that authority from a worldly perspective. But the moment it stops getting you in certain doors, you're happy to drop it. Why? Because you actually haven't been captivated by Jesus. He hasn't struck you. Just go, okay, so if I'm running for this office, is it better to say I'm a Christian or is it better to say I'm not a Christian? You just tell me which one's better and I'll do that one. Is it better to be seen going to church? I'll do that. So long as it gets us somewhere, we're cool identifying with Jesus, but that, mean, that doesn't mean that he's actually changed us. Astonished. Right? You can be astonished and take offense. When he's captured you, he changes you. There are those who are in the crowd, and we know that because the ministry of Jesus had these doubters around him. Guys like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, 
And you can imagine in John chapter 3, like Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, maybe they're hanging out after a meeting. And they're like, man, I tell you what, this Jesus guy, he seems to be real different than what, what we're talking about in this meeting. His approach is totally different. I don't know, I think, I think what he's saying is right. So what does Nicodemus do but kind of go to him at night? And he's like, how can you be born again? I don't understand how you can be born again, Jesus, right? John 3, 16, that we uh, all know, even if we don't know Jesus, it seems to be like the one that sits there with us, and you know, Austin 3, 16 becomes a wrestling thing because we just, 3, 16 is just like, what if the thing is? That comes while talking to somebody who's questioning who Jesus is and how one can be saved. But he's interested, and he shows up later in Jesus' story as one believed. But he was questioning. And that might be you. Then finally, a disciple. Are you a disciple? You've recognized your need that you can't do what Jesus has asked of you without first surrendering to him. His path his foundation, his way, his words. What we have said time and time again is that a good life with God is only available through the taking on of Jesus' life. That's the only way it's actually at our disposal is to exchange our righteousness for his. We then, we exchange our sinfulness for his sinlessness. We get everything good in the equation. Everything. We bring nothing. Then, we're giving up our rights turning in our citizenship, saying, it is not my way, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Not my desire, but yours. Then in doing that, from that place of surrender, we can live that truly good life.